You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. God is good, amen? All the time, all the time. I feel like I need to introduce myself all over again. My name is Stephen. Yes, I shaved my beard. I look a little bit different. Um, Will asked me, he said, uh, why in the world did you do that to yourself? And I said, it was all for you, buddy, so that you could have the best beard at New Heights Church. And he took that with great honor. Here, here. So it's an honor to preach this morning. I love the word of God. I love God. And this morning, I hope that you see the word of God. The writer, David, in Psalm chapter 11. See, 2023, I'm sure for you guys as well as for me, was full of highs, full of lows, and that's life, right? There's some of you, this past year, you have had immense heartache. You have had suffering. There's been times whenever you feel like you can't get ahead, whenever you don't know how you're gonna pay your bills. And there's been some times in the darkest and deepest parts of our lives where we start to question God. And it would be easy for me today to just cherry pick verse after verse after verse and show you the beautiful promises of God and they are true and they are right and you can hang on to them every single time. But today I want to show you the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because before the promises, there's God. And one of our greatest, the biggest, greatest promise is the finished work of Jesus, the Son of God. So the big idea today is trust the God who reigns forevermore. Trust the God who reigns forevermore. What do you do when the foundations of your life are crumbling around you? I've got three points today, and I hope that you write them down. I hope that you bury them in your brain, that you put them in your heart, and you take them home with you, and you take them into the new year of 2024. Number one, rest in the Lord's refuge. Rest in the Lord's refuge. Number two, remember the Lord's reign. And number three, recognize the Lord's righteousness. Point number one, rest in the Lord's refuge. The context of Psalm 11 cannot be 100% verified. Um, You know, we do know that the writer is King David, Um, But a lot of scholars do tend to agree that David was writing this in one of the lowest parts of his life. David was that little shepherd boy who killed and slayed the giant Goliath and his fame started to rise. The people started looking to David instead of the current king, Saul, and Saul, the jealousy started to boil up in him. And he wanted to eliminate 
King David. So he hunted down King David and David ran into the hills and to the caves and Saul was hoping to eliminate him from ever being able to take the throne. And see, while wicked people have probably not pursued you to the point of death, no doubt you have been persecuted by people that want to see you fall, that want to see you fail. The very first chapter of Psalms begins with the righteous and the wicked. The righteous are planted by water and their fruit grows and is a metaphor because they are totally dependent and completely obedient to God. But the wicked have fallen by the wayside. The wicked do what they want, when they want, how they want, and they have no regard for God. Not only did David face the pursuit of a wicked king, but he was also poorly advised by his counsel to flee in Psalm 11, one through three. By the way, if you have a Bible, will you hold it up? I hope you have one of these. If you do not have a Bible, I would love to get you one. I don't care if I gotta buy 50 Bibles. I want y'all to have a Bible, you need it. It's dependent. Psalm chapter 11 says, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you, this is David talking, how can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So here we have David at the, one of the lowest points of his life facing death and he is forced with the choice. Do I fight? Or do I run away? Do I flee? And see, within us all is a physiological response to fight or to flee, fight or flight, right? And this isn't a bad thing. I remember one time I was at Dirty Myrtle and I was just wading out into the sea and I was living my best life until all of a sudden, bam, I felt like my foot fell off. It was the worst pain that I have ever experienced in my entire life. And not one part of me did I think that I needed to slap my hands on the water or kick my feet. No, you know what I did? I hobbled as fast as I could to shore, right? And so that is a physiological response to flee from an attack. But oftentimes with an attack, with troubled times, we get advice. People around us thought that this was a jellyfish type situation. So the hotel attendants are like, sweetie, come here. We got a bottle of Windex. It's supposed to take the pain away. And so they start to do the Windex thing. No, it didn't work. My family's like, hey, we just emptied the whole cooler out. Put your foot in this cooler with this ice. And so I put my, my foot in there and it made it worse. And then finally, the ultimate advice for jellyfish is what? You know. You know what, and if you don't, you can Google it. Listen, it was bad, y'all. It was terrible. The pain was terrible, and I did all these things to no avail because it wasn't a jellyfish. It was a stingray. <laughs> a stingray had got me. 
And see, similarly, whenever the trials of life come, oftentimes bad advice comes with it, right? And even sometimes we create advice for ourselves. We think we know what is best for our scenario, for our circumstance, so we create our own responses. We try to fight within our own power, puffing our chest up, acting like nothing hurts us, that nothing is wrong with us, that we can do anything. But then sometimes there's parts where we, we flee and we run. And sometimes the places we run is to cope with the trauma, to cope with the pain, and it doesn't work. In Psalm chapter 11, King David takes refuge in the Lord. Rest in the refuge of the Lord. But what does it mean to take refuge in the Lord? A refuge is someone or something that you can trust or depend on. A refuge is someone or something that you can trust or depend on. You depend on your house to protect you from the weather. You protect that, you, you, uh, you trust, you depend that that house is built on a firm foundation so it'll stand. And no matter who you are, when the storms of life come, we seek a firm foundation, a comfortable foundation, a foundation with our own version of stability in this world, and we will do anything we can to hold tight and just to feel safe. David completely entrusted God to preserve him in life and in death. The wicked fight. They seek conflict, eliminating or belittling anyone who goes against their agenda. David's poor counsel said, hey, David, listen, let's just, you could be king somewhere else. Let's go. Let's just leave. Bad advice wanted to go just to another place and ignore what was going on. Their foundation was defined by the limitations of this world. And we do this very same thing today. If you want to realize and you want to come to terms with what your foundation is built upon this morning, look at the money in your bank account and what you spend money on. That'll show you your foundation. Look at the time that you spend. What do you spend time on? That will show you what your foundation is built upon. And look at the deepest desires of your heart. That'll reveal your foundation. But I'm here to tell you today that if your foundation is built on anything but Christ, it will fall. Amen? Remember the parable. I think I remember singing a song about this in children's church when I was a kid. Remember the, the wise man and the foolish man? The wise man built his house upon the, the rock. Good, five of you all know this. And then the foolish man built his house on the sand. About seven of y'all get the foolish one. I got you. So the rains came and the winds blew and the foolish man's house fell to the ground because the sand was not a sturdy foundation. But the wise man built his house upon the rock and it stood 
firm. How quickly our self-made foundations begin to crumble. People may say, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You ever come to that point? What can I do? The righteous have a different perspective, a different foundation, one whose builder and maker is God, where Christ is the cornerstone, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen? Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. You seek a kingdom. The blueprint for God's kingdom is God's word. It's upside down. It's different than most people. It's different than our uh, cultural or societal norms. Jesus says in Matthew chapter five on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But how in the world can you be blessed when all seems lost? It's upside down. And it is because that our refuge trusts in the almighty and powerful hand of God. Also, God's refuge is rooted in those who rest in the finished work of Christ. How difficult is it for you to rest, to stop, to not do anything? We get so annoyed with a line, right? We don't want to stand in line. This morning we got Starbucks. We don't want to stand in line. We got it on our phone, a little mobile order, you know, make it real quick, painless. Like, there's so many things that we do to eliminate us from resting. See, my wife, she's funny, I give her a hard time, but if, you, if you're a teacher in this room, you'll, you'll get this very, very well. My wife wakes up at 5.30 every day. She deals with snotty-nosed kids. She's a teacher, all right? And she's dealing with these kids all day. And about 8.30 at night, my wife enters into what I call pre-sleep mode, right? She's on the couch, Pre-sleep mode enters in, and she is, she's out, sawing logs. And I'm like, all right, babe, whatever. But about 9.30, 10 o'clock rolls around. I'm like, hey, babe, it, it's actually time to go to real bed now. So why don't you go ahead and come with me, and we'll go to bed together. And, uh, you know, I didn't used to be, uh, 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 well, to go to bed at, at 10 o'clock. I'm a night owl by nature. Um, but she has slowly changed my sleep habits. She has slowly uh, changed uh, my thoughts on, on rest, and I think we have a difficult time slowing down and doing nothing. See, God's refuge doesn't require anything from you but to come, but to trust. That's it. That's all you got to do is to rest, to come to him. This is why Jesus says, come to me all who are, what? Weary and tired and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. His foundation remains stable, immovable, and available to you. It cannot be destroyed. So point one, rest in the Lord's refuge. If you're a note taker, number two is remember the Lord's reign. Remember the Lord's reign. What is the worst trial that you have ever faced on this earth? The worst trial, the lowest of lows. In this room, we could go from person to person to person and we could share story after story about the hardest, most difficult times in our life. How many of you would be honest this morning and admit that there has been a point in your life where your suffering has caused you to doubt in God? I have. There's been times where I have doubted the goodness of God. There's been times in my life where I have doubted his provision. I have doubted his power and ability to work things out for my good. I think of Job, right? Just one book before Psalms that we are in, God allowed Satan to test Job and he endured much sickness, almost to the point of death. He lost his family, everyone in his family. He had the betrayal of his friends, his house, his livestock, everything he owned decimated, gone. Job's wife said, you should just curse God and die. His friends said, Job, you know what? It's probably something you did that caused this to happen. They wanted to blame Job's sin for the reason for his suffering. But no, Job remained faithful. Job trusted God. David's response to one of the hardest times in his life was in Psalm 11.4, where he says, the Lord is on his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Tim Keller, one of the giants of the faith in our day, just recently passed away. He battled with pancreatic cancer for many years before going to be home with the Lord. And while he was battling cancer, he had this to say about Psalm 11:4. That Psalm 11:4 gives a reason for the heart and a reason for the mind not to panic whenever trials and tribulations come our way. So number 1, the reason for the mind is that God is on his throne during testing. David reminds himself and David reminds his counsel That there is a plan during difficult times because God is in control. Keller illustrates it like a kid uh, 
going to driver's ed, right? Where, the, where he's got the wheel, he's got the brakes and the gas, and he thinks that he's in control, but really the, the instructor over here has complete control over the wheel, over the brake, so that they don't die. <laughs> he thinks he's in control, but he's not. Similarly, we think that we are in control of this world and whenever we lose grasp of something, we start to panic and we start to try to fix it. But we're not. We're not in control. We're not able to fix it. God is the one in control because he is sovereign. This means that he has governing control and authority over everything in your life. The good and the bad. Your trials do not escape the all-seeing eye of God. What a comfort to know that he is omnipresent, that he is everywhere, that he is omniscient, which means that he knows everything, and that he is omnipotent, that he is all-powerful. God is infinitely wiser than us. God is more concerned with what you need than what you want. Amen? Because we're spoiled, rotten kids. We would want all the wrong things. Parents, whenever your kid doesn't understand that they can't drink a gallon of Mountain Dew and a little Debbie cake before bed, they whine and they complain and they don't get it. But it's for their good. And it's for your good too. Amen? Amen. We may not understand the unfortunate circumstances in our life. But ultimately, God works it out for our good because he knows more than us because he is on his throne, works it out for our good and his glory. Romans 8.28, one of my favorite verses in all scripture says, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, his purpose. God's purpose for us is to come to him as the king and submit and bend the knee at his throne because he is reigning and we are to give him glory in all things. So not only does Keller say that there's a reason for the mind is that God is on his throne, but there's also a reason for the heart and that that is God is with us during our testing. The Lord's temple is here with us. Even in David's day, the temple was readily available that you could go to. You could go and worship. You could bring a sacrifice, but there had to be a mediator. There had to be a priest to take the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies and to take the sacrifice and pour the blood on the mercy seat so that you could have the forgiveness of sin. But where God's glory is and his presence dwells, there cannot be any uncleanness. There cannot be any sin. So if the priest were to walk in there before God on holy ground, without a pure heart, without the forgiveness of sins, he would drop dead and they would pull him out. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses begged, Yahweh, show me your glory. I want to see you. And God says, Moses, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. You may say, how in the world is this good news for our hearts? I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you. 
in the Old Testament, God's glory was unattainable. We couldn't see God's glory. Until the New Testament, whenever Jesus comes to earth, whenever Jesus steps out of heaven, John 1, 14 says, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so we're able to see the glory of God in Jesus' incarnation. Not only are the foundations of God's refuge true and trustworthy, but God's presence is given to us because he sent his son to earth so that we could know him. This is why we celebrate Christmas and the Advent season. It's to look at the first coming of Christ, but we will see him again in the second coming of Christ. Return. Jesus said to his disciples, bless his disciples' hearts. They're like a lot like us. They just don't get it. They just don't get it. Jesus said, if you destroy this physical temple, you destroy this temple, I will raise it up in three days. And his disciples are like, how are you going to rebuild all this whole thing in three days, Jesus? And it was because Jesus was the temple that he is the perfect image of God. That God's glory was no longer contained to, an, to a mere building, but he was living and breathing as a man. So he died a real death as a man. But he was not just a man. He was and is the son of God. And with mighty power, he raised from the grave, defeating death and sin. And he is sitting at the right hand of the father. Hebrews chapter four tells us, for we do not have a high priest anymore who is unable to sympathize in our weakness, but one Jesus, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore uh, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the gospel. This is good news that we can know the one who came to earth so that we can have a relationship and have fellowship with God. Any pain and difficulty and trial and tribulation that you face is known by God. But not only known by God, his son, Jesus, suffers with you. He loves you. He is with you. In Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, I highly recommend it. Check it out. He says, in our pain, Jesus is pained. And in our suffering, he feels our suffering as his own, even though it isn't. Not that his invincible divinity is threatened, but in the sense that his heart is feelingly drawn in to our distress. Jesus can relate to us in suffering because he was tempted and tested, but without sin. But Jesus also lived the perfect life. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was embarrassed, despised, rejected, made fun of, stripped naked, and killed for your sake, for you, the one who rules and reigns. 
came down for you to be made lonely like a sheep led to the slaughter. Trust in the God who reigns forevermore. Number one, rest in the Lord's refuge. Number two, remember the Lord's reign. And number three, recognize the Lord's righteousness. You may say, Stephen, I get that God is our refuge, right? He's our refuge in testing. I understand it. I get that I can trust in the Lord's reign, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what that person did to me. You don't know the pain and the trauma that they caused. Is God so cruel that he would allow all this evil in the world? Two things. Number one, was not everything created good? Did not, after every time God created something, he said it was good. Whenever he got to man, he said it was very good. It is man who went away and took part in what God commanded to not do. And Adam and Eve ate of that fruit and sin came and death came and suffering came. And there was one, only one, who could make it up. Only one. Secondly, not only did God create everything good, but why is there so much evil? I don't understand. Number, number two, the Lord is righteous. It means he is right all the time. Whatever evil or wickedness that falls at your feet will be met by the holy and hot anger of a righteous God. And I feel like that's gonna bring one of two reactions, right? We may be like, ha ha, you get what you deserve for doing that to me. But guys, there's also a part where the wicked will perish and they will spend an eternity in separation from God. Does that break our hearts? that the wicked may come across us, but guess what? They cannot hurt me because my foundation and my refuge is in God. We are called to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies, and if all possible, live peaceably with one another. And no amount of vengeance that we can carry out on, on earth can match the eternal vengeance of a righteous God in heaven. God will rectify all wrongdoing because he is holy. In Isaiah chapter six, the prophet had a vision. And it said, I saw, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings and with two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet and with two they flew. And one called out to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. This is the only time, as R.C. Sproul says, my, my Olivia and I's favorite person in the whole world, R.C. says that uh, this is the only time that God is described in the superlative degree. Holy, holy, holy. 
is the Lord God Almighty. The foundation shook. And Isaiah said, woe is me. A man with unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Brothers and sisters, we, like the prophet Isaiah, we have violated God's righteousness. We have unclean lips. We have unclean hands. The perfection of God reveals the sinfulness of man and the glory of God cannot dwell in darkness. The holiness of God cannot reside with sin. There's none righteous. No, not one. And if God were to smite us all off this earth right this instant, he would be just and he would be righteous because he is God. Your sin declares you guilty. And the sentence is the death penalty. Psalm 11.6 says, Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of the wicked's cup. Hell. Eternal separation from a holy and righteous God. But God, being rich in mercy, with love, which he has loved you, his mercy available unto you, while you were sentenced to death, you can be pardoned by the blood of Jesus. God's cup of wrath intended for you, substituted with the full portion of Jesus. A full portion. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the perfect image of God, in all his glory, his holiness, and his righteousness was the final sacrifice for sin, absorbing the wrath of God in your place to make peace for you by the blood of his cross. In his humanity, he was killed, dead, but in his deity, the power of God rose him from the dead so that you can live with him forever. Romans 8, 31 through 39 says, so then what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all. How will he not graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death or life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, powers, heights, depths, or anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He loves you. He gave up his life for you. Rest in the Lord's refuge during difficult times. The foundation of his kingdom cannot, will not fall. Remember the Lord's reign during testing. There's a plan. And he wants you to draw near unto him. And then recognize the Lord's righteousness. The wicked will be swallowed up, but you will endure to live for him in this life. My prayer is that the refuge and the reign and the righteousness of God compels us to righteous living. There's some sin that you're hanging on to this morning. There's some suffering that you've gone through, and I hate that you've gone through it, but you're letting it keep you from God. It's time to let it go. It's time for you to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him. It's time for you to bend the knee and worship and obey the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Psalm eleven seven ends, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. When I was a kid, my mom and dad would drop me off somewhere and they would say, remember, you're a Ray. And they weren't just trying to remind me of my last name. They were reminding me that Rays act differently. The church, you're the children of God. Act differently. You are not your own, but you are bought with a price, which is the blood of Jesus. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works, which glorify your father who is in heaven. Glory is doxa. It is weight. And the, the attention that you give God is weight. The delight you give God is weight. Your service unto him is weight. Your prayer and dependence and your reading his word is weight. And he is worthy of it all. But anything that we do cannot add or subtract from God's glory. He alone is holy, holy, holy. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. And because we are the children of God, it's just what we do. We live to serve the one who saved us. And so the Lord is pleased when we walk according to his word. One day, 
one day, if you can imagine, we will behold the face of God, the creator of the world, the sustainer of the world, the one that is holy, the one that is gracious, the one that is merciful and loving, righteous, just. We will behold his face. And you won't behold his glory and die. You'll behold his glory and live. You'll live forever with him because you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And we will sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.